Well, we are in 2 Peter. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to chapter 3 as we continue our systematic study of 2 Peter and really just the whole Bible, making our way book by book, chapter by chapter. We find ourselves in the third chapter of 2 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, you love to, we would love to loan you one if you like. You just have to raise your hand real high and the guys will get you a Bible so you can follow with us. There's a lot going on in this uh, third and final chapter of 2 Peter. We're essentially just going to step into the doorway and, and really set some foundation for what Peter is going to talk about. Uh, some important things that he's going to discuss and unpack and direct us to here in, in 2 Peter 3. So we're looking at verses 1 through 4. And I entitled our message this morning, Hecklers of Hope. And, and really what Peter is going to do is identify them and kind of give us some tools as to how to navigate when we encounter hecklers of hope. Okay. All right. Uh, if you're there with me, uh, most of you know the routine. I'm going to ask you to stand just for a little bit in honor of God and his word. Stretch out your legs a little bit. Oh, real quick too. welcome back to the uh, Josh and Anna and Mariko and Henry, the McCords and the Hagans. Uh, blessed to have them back after their travels, suffering for the Lord through Italy. Yes. So, all right. Peter writes, he says, beloved, I now write to you the second epistle. And then parenthetically, he says, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and savior, knowing this first that scoffers, your Bible might even say mockers that they will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts, their own desires. And what will they say? What is their mockery taken the form of this question? Where is the promise of his coming for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. All right, we're going to pause there. Of course, Peter will develop this. He'll explain. He'll have some argument back. But for us, we'll, we'll pause there. I know LJ just prayed, but uh, uh, would you indulge me? Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you again for the morning. So grateful for the blessing that we can be in this place that you've provided Lord, to be led into worship this morning by the team, so grateful. Lord, even for Kelsey, who uh, first time uh, upstairs uh, outside of the youth worship at tender age of just turning 17, Lord, thank you. Uh, what a blessing. And Father, um, we know that your word says you inhabit the praises of your people. You're enthroned in that. And Lord, even as we have this time of study, it's a form of worship as well that we want to honor you and magnify you and trust that through your Holy Spirit, you will speak to us. And Lord, there are things that you want to reveal and challenge and equip and pour into us. And so Lord, I pray that we would uh, be transformed, that through your spirit, speaking truth, conviction, comfort, whatever we may need, uh, Lord, we cast our burdens to you. If we come in, uh, you know, heavy burdened with a heavy heart and Lord, thank you that you invite us, that we can, we can take your yoke upon us. It's light, it's easy, you lead us. You, you, you carry the weight, Lord. And Father, we can find comfort and wisdom in everything that we need, regardless of where we're at. 
And so, Lord, as we leave today, I pray that we would be changed through your spirit, in your, from your word, from the inside out, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things together. Amen. Amen. All right. Would you take a moment, greet a neighbor, introduce yourself to somebody new if you haven't met them. All right. Anybody here uh, on island back in June of 2019? Anybody here? A few of you? All right. Micah. Only a couple of us. Okay. So back in June of 2019, uh, if you're here in Okinawa, and I've shared this before too, so if you've been around, you may have heard me say this. Residents here in Okinawa were alerted to and warned of uh, a, a very unique potential danger. And what that danger was is that 14 monkeys had escaped the Okinawa Zoo. Do you remember that? And, um, and they were roaming about. They were at large, 14 monkeys. And so to assist the public in their awareness, the zoo and the police, they published a wanted poster. No joke. And so they posted this just in case, right? You're at Family Mart. You're like, hey, there's this monkey. I, I wonder if it's from the zoo, right? Like just. And uh, of course, there's a few that you're, you wouldn't know. They're grayed out. Like, all right. They didn't, maybe, maybe not. You know, we'll give this monkey the benefit of doubt. I don't know. You're right. It's crazy. And, and I think if I remember correctly, all of, all of them but one was recaptured. There's still one at large. His name's Caesar. And not just, so, just joking. It's from, from a movie. Anyways, all right. In, in Second Peter, back in chapter two, uh, Peter, if you will, put out uh, a, a wanted poster. Right? He, he put out a, an APB, an all points bulletin uh, on false teachers type of monkey business of his day, if you will, spiritual monkey business. And, and he provided us uh, a profile of, well, really of, of these predators, these false teachers who were uh, actively at large and they were actively seeking to swindle God's people in a spiritual sense. And so he inspired of God's spirit, gave us if, uh, a punch list of modes and methods that the false teachers would try to use. They would try to deploy. And as he calls it, their, their deception, their destructive deception, right? It was dangerous. And so we, we took some time to go through that. If you missed out, uh, we do have that on archive and, you know, podcasts and those things. But here now in chapter three, Peter pivots a little bit, but he gives us really uh, a focused attention to one of the tactics that these false teachers were attempting to, to use in their aim and really twisting doctrine and truth and specifically this very important truth of our Christian faith. And what is that truth? It is the truth that Jesus Christ is coming back, that there is a first advent that we often call Christmas, his first coming. We're going to celebrate and rejoice and remember and go through the scriptures. And we're going to look at that. And by the way, you can pray for us where Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday this year. And so we are looking to do a joint service once again, as we did with at Easter with uh, 
Kadena Fellowship and Calvary Naha, we're going to be offsite um, in a different place um, out in Udasoit. It's a thousand. It's right on the ocean. And so we're really excited uh, for that. Uh, so be in prayer for that. But, but that's the first Advent. But there is a second Advent. There, there is a second coming, a return of Jesus Christ that he himself has promised. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, some of the scriptures that uh, support that. But, but we do not want to get that important truth wrong. Right? That is a truth that the devil would love to distort, would love to disparage, would love to twist. And why is that? Well, I'll share one scripture. Why don't you put your finger or uh, that flyer in Second uh, Peter and, and turn back just a couple books. Make your way through First Peter, James, Hebrews, and then Titus. We're going to be in Titus just to great little book of Philemon. You'll pass that. Find lemon, as uh, one of my kids would pronounce it. Titus 2. I thought I'd just quote it, but I think this is, this is really good for us to see with our own eyeballs. And if you're a person who likes to, you know, mark in your Bible or use the highlighter um, function on your tablet. Here's a Paul. Uh, writes to Titus. He, he says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Speaking of Christ, of course, God, our savior, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. And we've talked before, when we have these kind of imperatives. We have to always understand what undergirds this is that as an enablement of the Holy spirit. God has given us the batteries to do what he's called us to do, but we are called to do this. This is uh, what God directs us to, to deny ungodliness and lusts, but we live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. And what else looking for uh, this expectation, this, this um, anticipation looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Paul would direct Titus. He says, speak these things, exhort them, rebuke with all authority and let no one despise you. Such a great portion of scripture. So you can turn back or turn forward uh, to second Peter. And so we read this. And, and so the question is, you know, why, why, why would there be an attack upon the truth of the return of Christ? Why would the devil want us to get twisted in that and misinformed in that? Because the return of Christ, the, his promised return is our blessed hope. It, it, it is the thing that God has given us as a gift that helps us to stay godly with this anticipation, with this expectation, and we're going to hear Peter say the same thing later on. He's going to say, uh, if that is true, then how ought we to live? And it's a good diagnostic for us to live in expectancy, to live in anticipation that Christ is coming back. And so we do not want to get this wrong. It will mean a lot of uh, unfortunate things if we get that wrong. So 
We're going to make our way and we're going to roll through these first verses of 2 Peter chapter 3. See what we can learn together. Help set a foundation that we'll build upon and we'll continue you know, in the weeks to come. So verse 1, he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. As he leads this third chapter now, he begins with this word beloved. You, you might remember that uh, Peter's words in chapter two were heavy. Uh, you know, they, they, they had some, uh, some uh, sharp edges to them. They're a little bit hard, but they were necessary at times where he would describe those, he describe the destruction that God had for them. We're like, wow, Peter, like, tell us how you really think or really feel, right? But they were necessary criticism. They were necessary, um, you know, uh, identifications against these false teachers. And because we talked about how, how Peter himself commissioned by Jesus there on the Sea of Galilee, Peter, do you love me? feed my sheep, tend my flock, feed my lambs. And, and Peter would take that to heart. And, and God had called him, if you will, to be a pastor of his flock. He was, he wanted to be a faithful under shepherd to the chief shepherd, our chief shepherd, right? Our real, our senior, true senior pastor, Jesus Christ, this, you know, our, we belong to him. And so Peter wanted to be faithful to that calling, to that commissioning. And he was, he was a good pastor. And so he, he intending and loving and, and, and feeding. It also meant them protecting, protecting God's people by calling out the bad things, calling out the bad guys, calling out what to be looking for in this deception. And, and sometimes that's necessary. And, and sometimes it's important. And so we, we follow that model, you know, for us as a church family, for us here, I, I, I want to say this, with a qualified asterisk, I, I'm not so concerned about the growth of numbers. Certainly we want to be uh, faithful as God is growing to love and to tend. Uh, if it's two or 20 or 200 or whatever it may be, that, that part's God's business though, right? God's business is, is the width. So I, I believe what God has given me, it's still God's business, but my primary concern isn't really width. We're not looking to, you know, can we get more people? It is, it's depth. It's that our roots would grow down deep, that our relationship to the Lord would be strengthened and edified, and then our relationship together, right? That, that, that's the thing that's eternal. That's what we get to bring with us, our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with others. And so that's, that's our value here uh, of what we want to invest in. That's because it's eternal, right? We've talked about this before. And so if God wants to add to his church in this season, then that's by God's grace. That's God's prerogative because there's also seasons where, you know, the Lord talks about pruning. And so there might be a season where, you know, we shrink down a little and praise the Lord. If we grow, praise the Lord. If we shrink down, praise the Lord. That's, that, 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 that's God's grace. Our main mandate, if I can say it that way, we look in the book of Ephesians. It, it really is to edify. That means building up. It's to equip, that's discipleship, the body of Christ. That's all of us. And by the way, we've talked before, right? When all of us do our part, that's optimal. That <laughs> we all get to grow in maturity into the head, which is Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what God has for us. 
And it isn't just a Christian club. It's not just inward. All of that then to help equip us to be light to the works of what God's prepared for us. And that includes then being light and salt and sharing the gospel and sharing the hope that we have outside of these four walls. It's great that we would invite people to church, but guess what? We get to be the church that goes out to the people. And so we don't want to forget that as well, right? That we're called to be ambassadors. Amen? All right, hopefully you're tracking. (laughs) So our focus is strengthening our relationship with the Lord. And we do that through worship and prayer and fellowship and serving and Bible study. And along the way, that means that sometimes we come to things and we teach things and we bump into things in scripture that are hard to hear. They might rub us a little bit wrong. They might step on our toes a little bit. It also means pointing out dangerous doctrines, deceptive winds of doctrine. And sometimes it even means naming names of false teachers and those who are teaching unbiblical things. And people don't like it though, right? Sometimes they're like, that's not very loving. That's not very Christian. But I would say back in love to say, no, the the Bible gives us this example. The Bible warns us of these things. And so, uh, you know, the Bible, God doesn't want us to get carried away in deception, drift away, be deceived. And so I'm grateful for Peter's example. There are times where, you know, he had to be a little hard. He had to be seeming a little harsh. But here now he says beloved. And so to turn down the intensity, to help bring some balance, he, he addresses his audience, he addresses his reader, and he, and he basically says, hey, loved ones. And, and he's going to write this several more times, by the way. He, he says it in verse 1, and verse 8, and verse 14, and verse 17. And so along the way, he kind of peppers this because uh, he wants to make sure they understand, like, yeah, I had some hard things, a little heavy. Maybe you're like, whoa. He's like, but listen, I love you. And uh, maybe if you've been around for a while, you've heard me say, sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm going to say something a little hard. I'll just say, I'm going to say this in love. It's kind of my trying to put bumpers on it. Peter cared deeply for the people and and really it was an extension of God's love. It's because God loved the people and God cared for the people. And so God commissioned Peter to be, uh, you know, an under shepherd, as I mentioned already. And, and gang, I, just to go off a little bit, I, I, I hope that you know that you're loved. You know, we read this and certainly as the original audience, they receive this. But, but by proxy, right, these words have been preserved for us. And this applies to you too. You are God's beloved. And sometimes we blow it. We make a mistake. We yell at our kids. We kick our cat. Hopefully you're not kicking your cat. But we blow it. But guess what? God, God loves you. His mercies are new every morning. You're beloved of the Lord. And I hope that you know, and I can say this in sincerity, you're loved here. I know that I don't know all of you and have a close relationship with all of you, but I I think I can honestly and earnestly say I, I love you. I love you because God loves you. But know that God, you know, God loves you more than you can ever really fathom. And he cares for you the most. The Bible even says, because God cares for you, we can cast our cares to him God cares so much for us to the point where it says he knows the number of hairs upon your head. And for me, that's a shrinking number, but that's okay. God God still knows. Let me me, me make a point out of all this. Because God loves you, it's good. We, We can expect that then, like Peter, we will be challenged sometimes 
in our thoughts and in our actions, in our doctrine, in our attitudes. And all of that is an extension because God loves us. Because God loves you. You know, he, he brings conviction through his Holy Spirit. And that's good, right? Even the Bible says, because God loves us like his kids, there's even times he chastises us. And so Peter had some hard words, but he wants to let them know he, he, they're loved. And so beloved, he says, beloved. And, and he says it several more times. I now write to you this second epistle. And so Peter has uh, declared to us the, his intentionality, why he's writing this. He tells us before, back in first Peter, and the, the aim is the same. He, he wants to stir their minds. And, and that word stir, it means to wake or to shake up. That's the idea. Maybe this morning uh, you were sound asleep in your bed, so comfy. And, and, and then your wife's like, hey, you got to get up and get ready for church. I'm like, no, I don't want to go. She's like, no, you got to go. You're the pastor. You got to go. Right? <laughs> Someone stirred you, woke you, shook you. Uh, anybody here a heavy sleeper? Willing to admit it? All right. Three of you? Okay. All right. Uh, you know, sometimes heavy sleepers, you got to shake them a little bit, right? And usually they're the ones that kind of wake up all crazy. Oh, you know, that's this word. I write to you the second epistle by which I want to stir up your pure minds. That's this word. He wants to shake us up, wake us up. Why? Because spiritually, sometimes it's easy for us to be sleepy. <laughs> we can be spiritually sleepy. We can be spiritually lethargic. It, it, you know, especially I, I, I would say as observation, when life is going well, we can kind of go on autopilot and cruise control of our faith in the world around us. It would love nothing more than to lull us into a spiritual lethargy. Don't be so extreme. Have your faith. Just do your thing. Don't be so vocal. Hush, hush now, you know, and, and we can fall into that. I think, especially in our minds, especially in our thinking, and there's times maybe it's even self-induced, right? We, the news cycle nowadays and all the information that's swirling at us, all the things that pull at us and all the stressors and tensions that you deal with in your job and, you know, the things at home and the things with the kids and your parents and the season that they're in. And I mean, all of these things. And I think sometimes we think, I just want to disengage my brain from that. I just want to disengage my, my mind. It's just so overwhelming. And there is such a thing as mental fatigue. And so, you know, we just want to have kind of mindless activity and just decompress that way. And I, I think there's space for that. I think there's a place where, all right, let me just go for a walk or let me take a couple minutes and play angry birds. And, you know, get, I don't, do they still play angry? You still play angry birds? I don't know. You know. But sometimes we get to a place where like, I don't even want to think about it. And, and yet God calls us. That we wouldn't be in that state perpetually or be in that, you know, making that motion that God calls you and me to worship him. And one of the ways that God calls us to worship him, one facet is, right, with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. That's what I love about our relationship with the Lord. It's not a, okay, check your brain at the door. 
Uh, it is come, let us reason. Let's think soberly and wisely and critically. Let's ask questions. God's not afraid of our doubts. God's not afraid of our questions. Let's, let's engage our brain when we read, when we think, when we worship, when we're looking at the news. Those are good things. You ever think about what you think about? You ever think about what you think about? You know, what, what thoughts or ideas ping pong through your brain sometimes? And so notice Peter says, this is what I want to do. I'm going to write this second letter. His intentionality for the first letter was the same. I, I know that you know these things already, he says. I already know that you're grounded in this. I already know that you've heard this study before, but I'm going to continue to bring this truth to you. As long as I have breath, as long as I see you in my eyeballs, I'm going to do that. And even after I'm with Jesus, I'm going to write this letter and Pastor Rick's going to read it. And, uh, and you know, everything that I can do to continue to just to remind us of these things. And now he writes the second letter. He wants to stir it. And notice how he says it, our pure minds. So when I read that, I'm thinking, oh, he's not talking to me. <laughs> not, not, I don't have a pure mind. Sometimes my mind's in the gutter. I'm embarrassed. But here's the thing. It's not that our minds are completely pure because guess what? They're not. But hopefully your thought life and hopefully my thought life is in a place of, of active sanctification Right? Where the spirits actively were in progress. Paul writes to the Romans, let's not be conformed to this world, the pattern of this world, the way of this world, but being transformed. How? By the renewing. That, that, that's an ongoing, that's an active verb. Right? Present, participle, active. It, it's, keep, it's renewing, constantly renewing, daily renewing the washing of the water of the word, another scripture says. And so that, that's the process. We're all in process. And we don't want to let our thoughts sit in the gutter of sin and junk and darkness and these things. And so Peter says, hey, I, I want to stir it up by your pure thoughts. The things that lead us to think pure thoughts. And I appreciate that because if you're like me, it's easy to stir up impure thoughts. This is the dumbest of triggers. I don't know why I can remember, you know, stupid, dumb jokes uh, from sixth grade, but I can't remember my devotion from last week. You know, Chris like, what did you read? I'm like, oh, the Bible, you know, <laughs> Colossians, something in there. <laughs> but you ever, you ever get like a random thought? I mean, sometimes I get a random thought and I'll just physically hurt myself. I'm like, oh, I'll get that thought out, perish the thought, so dumb, you know. And yet Colossians 3, 2 for my devotions <laughs> directs our thoughts upward, set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so that's what Peter's aim is. And, and how will he do this? Well, he's told us before he, he's very happy. He has no shame. It, he's okay to remind us of the things that you and I have learned before because God knows, guess what? That you and I are forgetful creatures. I forgot is a phrase I think all of us have said. We didn't mean it. We didn't mean to forget. No one sets out like, I think I'm going to forget this important date. No, our memories are faulty. We can forget very important things sometimes. And then sometimes we can remember the stupidest, useless things. I blame it on Adam. Right? That's his fault. He messed us up. But the Bible tells us, I and mean, even today, you know, science 
study, they, they, they confirm what the Bible already tells us, that, that there's great value in repetition. Learning and relearning and repeating. Do it again, do it again. That there's great value in that. There's great worth in that. And that's really what Peter is saying here. I, I'm going to stir up your thoughts towards godly things, towards thinking soberly, towards thinking uh, of pure things. And, I, and I, I'm going to do it by way of just reminding you of things that you already knew. And so what does Peter want to remind us of? He says, I want to remind you, verse 2, that you would be mindful. It's the same uh, root word. He's going to use it a lot, by the way. Mindful, remind, our pure minds by way of reminder. What, what, what are you going to remind us of, Peter? The words that were spoken before by the holy prophets. And so he, he, he says, I, I, I know that you already know this stuff. It's good for us to hear again. It's good for us to be reminded. He says, of the command, or excuse me, of the words spoken before by the holy prophets. And then he knows he adds, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. And so, gang, what does that mean for us? It, it, it's, it means it's good for us to be reminded of all of the scriptures. All of the scriptures. The Bible testifies of itself that it's alive that this book is unlike any other book that we ever read, that it's living. It, it does this amazing thing where God uses it as this type of, uh, if I can kind of amplify it a little, you know, he calls it a two-edged sword, but almost like this, this surgeon's scalpel. You know, I don't know I could wield a two-edged sword. That'd be dangerous, but in the hands of God, he uses it like a surgeon's scalpel and, the Bible says, and it, and it cuts away those things that, are, you know, have um, calloused in our heart. Makes us more sensitive to the things of God and the voice of God. And so it's living, it's alive, it's dynamic. Isaiah 55, 11, God says, my word's going to go forth and it will accomplish what I desire. It won't return void. And so it's good for us to read and to reread and over and over again. And because have you found that even though you've read this passage before, you've heard this passage before, and all of a sudden you're in a different season of life and, and God then speaks through his spirit just in a fresh, very life-giving way. You guys experienced that? Oh, if you haven't, I encourage you just keep reading and rereading. It's amazing. You're like, oh, I didn't notice that before. It's almost like this new amplification. It's not new insight. We understand nothing's new, but it's the idea, well, it's new to us. The emphasis the Holy Spirit brings upon this one particular part. And so again, we, we've talked about this before. It's okay. We're being reminded again, because we just went through first Peter. And so we want to be careful of that, of that spiritual pride that can set in, especially if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, especially if you are a uh, uh, a student of the Bible and Bible teaching, or maybe yourself, you know, you've taught scriptures and, and we, especially we, we have to be careful that we don't uh, allow a form of pride, a spiritual pride that comes in. Like, oh, I've already heard that. I've heard that better. Been there, done that. Listen, I, good, right? That's good. And let's hear it again. <laughs> and so, 
Uh, here's a point I, I think it's good for us to develop. We want to cultivate. If this is good, if this is something that God has directed Peter to do, then us as the receivers of that, we, we should cult- cultivate a, 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 a heart, you know, a soil of our heart to receive that. Be watered, right? To, it's humble, it's teachable, a heart, a spirit that's willing to learn and relearn and rehear really these truths. Even though you already know them, you've been taught them, you teach them. And so Peter says, I, this is what I'm going to do. I want to remind you of what the Holy prophets spoke. And then even what we've took and, and notice it's the importance of the messages, the, the accounts of the old Testament, first of all. And, and sadly, I you know, encounter some people sometimes that in some church circles, they avoid or, or completely ignore the old Testament. Like they, they have no idea of the accounts and we call them stories, but really they're true life things, right? They're, they're factual things that took place. And yet there's this, seems to be this, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Group that uh, they, they don't go through the Old Testament at all. They haven't read it at all. They're not familiar with, you know, Old Testament characters, even the, you know, maybe the, the major ones, but and some sadly even wrongly claim that, oh, only the New Testament matters. You know, that we're a New Testament church. And well, my Bible says that all of scripture is God breathed. Right? All of scripture is inspired. And I, and I love what Tozer has said. He, he said, um, nothing less than the whole Bible makes a whole Christian. It's a great verse, right? Or it's um, quote, nothing less than the whole Bible makes a whole Christian. And I fully agree. The Bible, all of the Bible, it is good for us. And here we have a, a scriptural reinforcement of that. As Peter says, you know, the holy writings of the prophets. And then he adds, notice and he adds, and the commandment of us. Now, as we read that today, we can pass right by that and think, oh yeah, of course, that's what we're reading his words now. We have the canon of scripture and but for those who are hearing this, and even for Peter himself, there's this dynamic that he somehow, it's interesting that he understood. And I think by the spirit, that the very things he was penning was scripture. That it was authoritative. And so by placing what the apostles were also teaching and writing and passing along, along with what the prophets declared, he puts them, he equates them, he puts them on the same plane. And so again, somehow Peter understood that because of the authority that Christ had given him, the spirit now that working through him, that he's writing authoritatively, he's writing inspirationally, that the New Testament letters became scripture. And I would say that's not arrogance on his part, but, but a spiritual awareness. And it's fascinating to me that as he's writing this, he's aware this is something special. And Peter though he, he doesn't shy away from it. But notice too, he doesn't just claim it for himself. He says of us, the apostles, he doesn't just say of me because I was ordained the first Pope, right? As some church traditions would claim. No, he, he says of us, the apostles, plural. And so he recognized it wasn't just him, but 
it was those that God had called in this extension of God's authority through the apostles and the prophets and, and not just Peter. Actually, later on in verse 16, why don't you peek there real quick? Look at verse 16 of, of 2 Peter 3, right? Almost to the end. He says also in all his epistles, he's, now he's talking about Paul. In verse 15, he's talking about Paul. The beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them these things, in which some are hard to understand. So even Peter's like, man, Paul's got some stuff he drops that I don't, I don't figure it out. Like, you know, it's a little bit hard. He says, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. And notice this last phrase, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. And so even Peter places Paul's letters, equates them to scripture. What he's writing, what's their, what they're writing. And then Paul, Paul says, as he writes in Ephesians 19. Through 21, he says, therefore, you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household. And how, how are we that? Well, through Jesus Christ. Do we have that verse, Keegan? Okay. Um, it's Ephesians 2, by the way, if you want to tab or turn there real quick. And here's, here's the focus of that. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ, of course, himself as the chief cornerstone and in Christ being, uh, you know, our, the whole building fitted together and grows to a holy temple in the Lord. And so the foundation, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, but has ordained and authorized the prophets and the apostles as they write scripture, the canon, as we read it today. And so this is important. The Holy Spirit inspiring Peter to write these words, to validate, to affirm the veracity, the wholeness of, of truth and the authority given to him by Christ that we can read these words and know this is authoritative. God's calling in his life as an apostle. And so their writings are on the same level. They're inspired just like the Old Testament. It's good for us to read then the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's good for us to discipline ourselves. Make it a daily practice consistently. Open your Bibles. Let's read the word, have a devotion and go through, if I can challenge you, you know, daily bread's good and those devotion things that you find on uh, New Version Bible. I love that stuff. And I, I use that to kind of supplement just my daily reading, which if you want to know, I, 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 I read like I teach. I just go through the Bible and I try to get through the Bible an entire, an entire year. And so that's why I'm in Colossians, but you know, I'm forgetful, <laughs> but it's good for us. Reread and remind and replenish and, and have a, a regular consistent um, Bible reading plan. And so Peter says, this is what I'm going to remind you of. Remind you of these things. These are important things. But then here's where we bring some focus. He says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Now, Peter, establishing that for us, here's his heart. Here's what he wants us to know. Here's some good things that, you know, we can put handles on some practices to carry out with us this morning. But then he says, know this. The application then is be aware. Know this. 
He turns to a specific tactic that the false teachers used or implementing. And, and what is that? To ridicule, to reject the truth of the second coming. He says, know this, that's priority. This isn't, this isn't important for us. That's critical. This is of paramount importance. That's the idea. Know this first of all the things that pertain to our faith. There are some parts that God has given us uh, kind of a wider lane, if you will, of expression. There's a, a wide lane of grace. What are some of those things? Our worship style. Our, 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 our preference of worship style. There's a wide lane. Some people, because of their faith tradition, or maybe, you know, Azra's a little bit of an old soul. Like he likes hymns and these things. And some people like that, right? They, and it ministers to them. Of course, man, you know, the hymns are, generally speaking, pretty rich and deep. And, and I would encourage you, you know, if that's something that's not normally part of your listening and your um, Spotify list, add, add some. They're, they're just really rich and edifying. But, you know, there's some people that that's their preference, certain style. And that's okay. There's certain other people, their preference and styles, maybe a little more contemporary. And that's generally how we flow here. But God doesn't prescribe that. God doesn't say, you better have an organ. And, you know, what's the principle? Worship him in spirit and in truth. But there's, there's some grace, right? There's a, what that looks like can be a lot different. I mean, uh, you know... <laughs> When I got, when I had the blessing to go to Africa and minister there, uh, they don't, I, we don't worship like that. <laughs> They're a little more expressive and it was fun. It was a little outside of my comfort zone, but it was in spirit and it was in truth. It was, it was amazing. And so there, there are some things, again, we, we have some uh, 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 grace, um, preaching personalities, God's truth through personality and styles. And, and so that, there's some differences there and we can enjoy those liberties, you know, uh, how we teach and preach Christ. Now, uh, the way the packaging can look different, but man, the, the, the mains better be there, right? Preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, so personality and style, that's a great variable. Methods vary and styles. And sometimes we don't click with that and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. The, the body of Christ is, a, is designed on purpose to be this very beautiful mosaic of different expressions, right? We're different shades and shapes and because we're, we represent our creator. He's beautiful. He's creative. And so we're beautiful. And uh, there's a lot of creativity, expressions of our faith. Um, again, let me... I don't want to get too much off the topic here, but we don't want to overemphasize the minor things. And that's where sometimes people do, right? They get into trouble and that's where it becomes divisive and ugly because they get, they get overemphasized, you know, oh, what Bible version or translation are you reading or the dress code or church polity or liturgical traditions? That's minor stuff. And there are Bible truths and Bible doctrines that we can't compromise. The virgin birth, the incarnation of, of Jesus as God who came in human form, but fully God, fully man. The fallen sinful state of mankind, that we need a savior. 
that Christ is our savior, that uh, salvation comes through only him. There's only one name given under heaven, which we must be saved, that he came and he lived without sin. And he died on a cross for you and for me that three days later, he rose again as a substitute for you and for me, that he's coming back again. Right? The, the, these are doctrinal things that we do not want to get wrong. We don't want to be ignorant of that. And we don't want to be ignorant of the fact that Christ is coming back again to planet earth. And so Peter knows that's exactly where the false teachers want to twist, distort, disparage, undermine. And so he's going to amplify, he's going to park here and develop this for us. And it's good. And so what does he say? Take note of what? Take note of who, take note of when, take note of what they do. Take note of who, take note of when, take note of what they do. Who, who? Scoffers, mockers. When? In the last days. And what do they do? Two things. They walk in their own lusts. You see that? They walk in their own lusts. And then they ask insincerely, right, as an extension of their mockery, about the promised return of Jesus. So let's just walk through these real quick. The who scoffers, your Bible might translate it mockers. It's deriders. It's a group that's arrogant and they're antagonistic. They're arrogant and they're antagonistic. They are not sincere in their questions about the end times. They're not seekers wanting to understand what does this mean for us? They are purposed into causing doubt and insinuating that the Bible can't be trusted, that God is a liar. That's the idea. It's the same play that we read about in the serpent in the garden where the devil used that to try to plant a seed of suspicion, to create doubt against the promises of God and the word of God. What was the question that the serpent asked? Did God really say? Did God really mean that? And so the mockery of God and his word, it's not new. Wasn't new in Peter's day. It, it wasn't new as we already mentioned, you know, in the prophets of old, he talked about that before, <laughs> just like when the prophets came, there were false prophets. And it's something Peter lived with. It's something Jesus lived with. It's something that we live with. And I'd say a lot of what the old Testament points to really, we could read that and be like, that applies to today. In Isaiah 5, for example, it says, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of deceit. They pull sin along with a cart of ropes. To those who say, well, let him hurry and hasten his work so that we can see it. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel come so that we may know it. They're not asking that in, in sincerity. That's not a prayer of like, Lord, come back. Maranatha, this is like, okay, God's promised judgment. Let's see it. Let's see if he's really real. That's a woe. That's why. That's... And Isaiah then gives a second woe and woe to those then who call evil good and good evil. That, that's today. Who turn darkness to light and light to darkness, who replace bitter with sweet and sweet with bitter. You read that and think that that's people today. They shake their fist at God and well, if there's really a God or I don't care. And if I go to hell, I'm going to just have a party and be drinking beer. No, no you won't. Right? It, it, it's this mockery. It's this, it's this arrogance. I'll bring it on. Whatever you have planned, let's see it. I dare you. And, and that's the, that's the attitude. That's the mentality. And sadly there, there are mockers today. There are, there are scoffers today and they rail in rage. 
against the Bible, against anything. You mentioned the name of Jesus and it's like, it's almost like demonic, right? Just a contortion of emotion and, and sometimes it's just crazy. I think it's demonic. The spirit of antichrist. And, and you know what we find tragically today though? I think by, again, by observation, a lot of it comes through academia, through college professors who at one point, certain colleges with, with Christian, at least beginnings who've lost their way and, and so-called higher education. They sneer and they mock and they belittle the Bible. And sadly we hear and read reports where they even publicly shame. It was happening even, you know, this past two weeks in the United States, they ridicule, ridicule their own students and shame their own students who profess a Christian faith. And then what do we hear? And sadly, tragically, students then under these attacks, can't bearing that, that sense of guilt or shame or embarrassment, they walk away from their faith. I think part of that's all. Did we, did we, you know, did the church and family really help ground and equip them for those things? Because, you know, we read those trends and for us as a church, man, we, we want to pour into your kids, especially middle school and high schoolers, to equip them and to, you know, and to incorporate the idea of apologetics and what Peter talks about, giving a reason for the hope that we have. Because, man, faith is under fire. Sometimes they succumb to that peer pressure, pressure of emotions. Because why they we get it right? We don't, no one wants to be embarrassed. No one wants to feel like they're ostracized or they're the weirdo. But sadly, what happens is they compromise beliefs and compromise convictions, or worse, they abandon them. And so, what is Peter saying? Peter wants to prepare us. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Our faith is going to come under fire these scoffers, these mockers. And he tells us their motive though. What, what's really at, at the heart of it all? They're walking in their own lust. Why do they want to do it? Cause they, they, they want to live in lust. They want to, they, they revel in their rebellion. These words reveal that the scoffers real problem isn't only an intellectual one, but I'd argue it, it reveals to us. It's mostly a moral one. Why do people don't want to come to the light? Because they love darkness. Why? Because they love their sin. First Corinthians one twenty five says that even the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And no one's smarter than God, but that's not really what's going on. What's really going on. They love their perversity. They love their depravity and they don't want to lose that. And isn't it interesting? It, there, there's usually a direct correlation. The more that a person mocks and scoffs God, Usually the greater their depravity, the greater their, their, um, uh, that's what I want to look for. I'll, I'll have it second service. <laughs> the audacity, right. Of their, uh, of their, um, of their behavior and their sin, you know, brazen. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. When does this occur? Oh, I got to go quickly in the last days. <laughs> In the last days, we got two more services. I got to pace myself, huh? <laughs> One of the signs of the last days is there's going to be mockers. And so the fact that people are mocking, you're like, oh, that you're fulfilling prophecy. Right? The irony of that happened in Peter's day. What does this tell us? We're living in the last days. In the last days, basically, and we're going to 
we're going to unpack a lot of this, right? I think there's a lot of, and rightly so, some interest and curiosity about last days and end times prophecy, eschatology, the study of end times and end things. Uh, we we want to we make sure we get that right. But basically, when you see the term last days, it means from the resurrection and ascension of Christ, the period then before his return. That's last days. All of it's last days. They were living in the last days. Guess what? We're living in the last days. We're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks. And so what are they mocking specifically though? They're mocking the promised return of Christ. They target that. And as we talked about, why do they target that? Because that's our hope. That is our blessed hope. It is an important truth it is an important facet of our faith. And Peter himself, as we will look in the next couple of weeks, he's going to expound more on that. He's going to make sure, want to make sure we get it. We understand that we're not misinformed. This is a hope he's going to talk about that purifies us. That's one of the benefits of it. You know, back in my day, you didn't know when your parents were coming home. And so if you didn't want to get in trouble, you did your chores, you, you know, did the, you did your, your homework. But now there's apps, right? Find my friend or whatever. And you can track people. And so like, oh, look at mom's three blocks away. Like turn off the video game. Hurry up. Let's wash the dishes. And Jesus is old school. He's coming at a day and a time we do not know. There's no like fine, like, oh, look it. All right, let's get our act together. Because in three, nope. Why? Why? It creates an expectancy. It creates a, a purity in our lives in a good way. But notice their cynical comments are reinforced by observation. Nah, everything continues as it was. If you're a person who study these things, it's called uniformitarianism. Always the same, always was, therefore it always will be. And so Peter engaged that. He'll dismantle their wrong premise and their wrong conclusions. Again, I, I, I'll have to close. The blessed hope, the promise, the truth of the second return of Jesus Christ. It's a treasure. It is a treasure that God has given us that we must not allow it to be corrupted or tainted. And I believe the Bible teaches us very clearly Jesus is coming back. And I would add this as a little bit of a, a teaser for coming things for you to come back. I also believe that the Bible teaches that we as a church are going to be taken up in the thing called a rapture. And I realize there's some different thoughts about that before God's judgment and before God's wrath is poured out on a Christ rejecting sin loving world. We'll talk more about in coming verses, but I think where we can agree is that the default application anytime that we talk about end times and prophecies and promises is this. Let's be ready. Let's be ready. Gang, we're, we are living in some exciting times. We want to continue to pray for Israel, all that's happening there. And I'd add inappropriately, right? The innocent people also in Gaza, because there are innocent kids and people being drawn in and sucked into this thing. And, you know, lives are being lost, but um, I, I'm excited. I think there's a lot that we can look through a biblical lens to look at our world, especially where we're in Peter. And so I'll just close with this. Let's get right with God today. If you're not, amen. All right. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for these truths. Though we might know them, it's good for us to be reminded of them and stirred in our hearts. 
And Lord, I pray that if we're not one who has um, disciplined ourselves or in pursuit of that to open our Bibles daily, that Holy Spirit, you'd help us to do that. That you would develop a hunger and a thirst and appetite for those things. It's good, Lord. It's good for us to know all of the scripture, all of it's God-given, all of it's inspired, all of it you use to equip us and edify us and uh, teach us and correct us and rebuke us at times. It's so good for us. And so Lord, I pray that we wouldn't neglect that. And Father, as we look at the world today and realize, oh, uh, yeah, it, we, we are living in the last days. And, and we thank you because these things, as you write them and as a way to reveal who you are, as you would say, that prophecy is one way that we can know that you're true. You declare them before they happen and they happen perfectly. But it's not to scare us. It is to prepare us. And Lord, we want to be prepared and help us to be ready. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.